Bibles today and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter number 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, uh, I feel like, you know, I'm not able to be up here uh, a whole lot. Typically on Sunday mornings, I'm, I'm preaching junior church uh, or I am with uh, our, our preschoolers, um, serving them. So I, I don't get to see uh, all of you folks. And I see some, some new faces that I think I've never met before. So if you don't know me, I'm Cole. I'm the associate pastor here at Highland Drive. And I'm thankful to have this opportunity as Pastor Luke is away preaching revival uh, to preach to you. I'm thankful that we get to, to do this in this way. Uh, and it's an honor to be here. So Colossians chapter number three. Today we're going to be looking at this portion of Scripture and talking about uh, setting your mind or set your mind, which is really how this Scripture is going to open up this morning. Uh, But before we get in to the text, I just want to give you a little bit of of background and an understanding into Colossians if you've never done a deep dive for yourself. Uh, I think one thing as we're looking at context in Scripture that we need to ask is why was it written? What, What was the purpose of um, God inspiring these men uh, to, to put, the pay, put, the, put the words on the pages and, and send it uh, in this form and fashion as a letter uh, to a church. What was, what was the purpose in it? Uh, so first, Paul's purpose, as we can see as he opens up the letter to Colossae, is that he wanted to encourage them. Uh, and I believe that that can be said true of uh, almost all of the epistles, that there's encouragement there and they desire to encourage them. Uh, so certainly Paul wants to do that, and he does that. He does a, a whole lot of, uh, of encouraging. Uh, but also Paul's concerned about the church of Colossae because he's heard uh, rumors uh, about some heresy that's being taught in and around the church. Uh, in fact, Many theologians believe that there had already been some believers who had left uh, the, some of the core doctrines of the Christian faith to chase after uh, these false understandings of who God is and who Jesus is. Uh, and I'll get into what, what those things are in just a moment. But something we've got to keep in mind when we are studying the book of Colossians is that Paul, as he's writing this, is sitting in a prison cell. Now, that's important for a a few different reasons, Uh, but I think one thing that we can reflect on uh, to see, especially with the words that he uses and especially with the words that he's going to encourage us with this morning in the text with the hope of heaven, it helps us understand that Paul had a mindset that was fixed on Christ Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I have this thought that if I was sitting in a prison cell and I was writing to a church... Uh, I might have some woe is me moments, right? Especially if I'm thinking uh, that this might be my demise because I've stood up for the cause of Christ. I've been preaching the gospel, so this might lead to my execution. You know, I have no idea how long I'm going to be in prison. So, so certainly, I don't know about you, but I, I think I would battle some of that. So again, some of that woe is me, some of that uh, please, please pray for me. I, I, be, I would struggle with a selfish mentality in that. But Paul doesn't do that. In fact, uh, he says very little at all about his circumstances, and it's really not until close to the end of the letter that you would even know that he's in prison when he simply says to pray for me because I'm in chains. That's it. It's not about Paul. It's not about his circumstance. It's about Christ Jesus. It's about the truth of the gospel, and it's about making Jesus known. 
That's what it was for Paul. So again, I believe it's important as we look at these words to think of Paul's circumstance because I don't know that there's anybody here this morning that can say, oh, I, had a, I have it worse than Paul did. Right? Paul's got it pretty rough as he's writing this to these believers. Now, what is the, the heresy that, that he's addressing? What, it, what are these things that he is, he is uh, wanting to, to address and, and wanting to tackle and, and to uh, help the Colossae church understand is not true? Well, it's what we, in today's modern time, we would call a, a Gnostic system or, or even the Gnostic gospel. Uh, here's a, four, a few points of Scripture where Paul talks about a different gospel. But he clarifies that it's really not a different gospel, it's just a false gospel, right? Um, kind of where, where God says to Israel, or, and, and Paul repeats, that there are many gods, right? That's little g gods. There are not many gods. God has made it very clear that there is one God, right? And He rules in the heavens above. So Paul is saying that there are many Gospels to say and communicate that they're really just all false except for the true Gospel, right? So Paul is writing and he's addressing this false Gospel, this Gnostic Gospel. And we could spend a lot of time just, just debunking that and, and ripping it apart uh, scripturally, logically, and, and, and theologically, uh, but we're not going to spend a whole lot of time doing that. I just want you to understand the basis of the Gnostic gospel, the Gnostic belief system, so that you have an understanding of why Paul is writing and what he's addressing. Especially if you look at Colossians chapter 1, as he clarifies in detail who Jesus is. And uh, if you were a part of Sunday school this morning, there's a very similar vibe uh, to Colossians 1 uh, as there is in John chapter 1, as, as Paul is addressing the, the deity of Christ Jesus, uh, how He has created all things, how nothing was created without Him, how all things hold together through Him. Uh, but this Gnostic system that Paul is addressing would first teach that all matter is sinful, meaning that essentially anything that, that is made of matter, anything that is physical is sinful. See, the Gnostics would teach that your body itself is sinful. Now, please don't misunderstand the words of Scripture and what I'm saying. The Bible helps us clearly understand that our flesh is sinful, right? But that's not flesh as we think about our eyes and our ears and our toes, right? Uh, as, as New Testament believers, we think somebody saying that your toes are sinful, that's just kind of ludicrous, right? When the Bible says our flesh is sinful, it's talking about the core of who we are. Just like when it says that your heart is deceitfully wicked and evil above all things, it's not saying that the heart that's beating inside of your chest is sinful. It's saying that the core of who you are, your, your spirit, all that is within you is sinful. But the Gnostics were teaching that your body from head to toe is sinful. That the trees that we look out outside is sinful. Sorry for you dog lovers. The dogs that you have at home are sinful. That's what they were teaching, that all matter is sinful. Now, because they believe this, and this is where, and of course, that's, that's incorrect, that is not true of Scripture, and it's a dangerous thing to adopt, but as we know, that things that are not true in Scripture, if you chase after them, it's going to lead you down further, further of a dark, deceptive rabbit hole. And that's exactly what it did for the Gnostics, because they came to the conclusion that all matter was sinful, which led to the conclusion that if all matter is sinful, if the physical body is sinful, then that means that Jesus could not have had a physical body. 
And church, I don't think I have to spell this out for you, but I'm going to. If Jesus didn't have a physical body, He didn't have a physical death. And if Jesus didn't have a physical death, then we are absolutely without hope this morning. So Gnostics believe that Jesus didn't have a physical body, that He was just here in spirit. And that further led to the Gnostic beliefs that they still hold these things today in the Gnostic system and say and would say that Jesus is the best way to God, but not the only way to God. Denying what Jesus said Himself, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father except through me, right? There is one way to God, and it is through the shed blood of Christ Jesus. It is through repentance and faith in Christ and in Christ alone. There is no other way, church. But the Gnostics were adopting the system, and, 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 and even some in the church of Colossae were, were giving ear to this false doctrine. And, and Paul is addressing this and challenging them to think correctly And as he does in many other points in his epistles, he is challenging them to think logically about these things. we got to think logically, church, when we hear claims that are made about God, about His Word. And Paul is challenging the believers to do that in, in Colossians. But that's not where we're going to focus this morning. Again, I want you to understand the context. I want you to know the purpose of Paul's writing. But as we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3... Paul makes a shift. He makes a shift from talking about the the practical uh, or the theology and and the core doctrine to practical practice of of what that means in your life. How can what 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 does this mean and how should you live now understanding this? You know, the call to the people in Colossae that Paul is giving is for them to think spiritually, to be spiritually minded individuals. What draws somebody to come to the conclusion that the physical body in of, its, of itself and all matter is evil? Well, first, it's a, a disregard for the Word of God, right? And, and not having a desire to submit to it. But it's also having a focus on the physical. The Bible has a lot to say about the physical, but it has far more to say about the spiritual. You know, as believers, we are to be spiritually minded individuals, And Paul challenges the church of Colossae to think spiritually and to make Christ preeminent. In fact, that's the only portion in the New Testament that uses that verbiage of preeminence to Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean it's less significant. The the Bible repeats that theme over and over. This is the only time in Scripture that that verbiage is used, preeminence, which means surpassing all things. Paul is saying that Christ is first over all things, and He is first in everything. In Colossians 1, he says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Now, of course, we know that that doesn't mean that He was born first. God calls Israel His firstborn. He calls David His firstborn over Israel. Certainly, they were not the firstborn. Jesus was never born. He never had a beginning, right? Right? As we studied in Sunday school this morning, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. He had no beginning. But it caused Him the firstborn to show His rank, that He is first over all things, that He is first in importance, first in honor, and first in exaltation. 
And church, this morning in your life, if you have not given Christ the position of preeminence in your life where He is first place over all things, then you're not living your life in the way of God's Word. So again, in the final two chapters of Colossians, Paul moves into a practical application talking about what we, how we should live and respond knowing these things. And I believe that practical application is laid out very clearly in God's Word, how we are to live out God's Word. And, and, and it concerns me when there are believers who want to just soak up as much theology as they can, but they deny the truth of Scripture with the way that they live. You know, Titus 1 verse 16 says that they claim to know God, but they deny Him with their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. You see, we have to keep in mind that as believers, we have to practice the Word in deeds as well. Right? That's what James says, in word and in deed. Can't just be the way that we think. Can't just be the way that we say we believe. We've got to live out our faith. What does Jesus say? That if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right? Now, something that, that I think is important for us to, to get and understand inside of the text as, as we observe what it's about to say is that the people in Paul's day, the, the, the pagans of Paul's day, they had very little to say, if anything, to say uh, about the way that you believe and the way that you live your life. You see, the pagans could go uh, to their idols, they could bow down and worship them, they could make their sacrifices there, and then they could get up and they could live however they wanted to. And that was okay in the pagan system. You, 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 you did what you were supposed to, you, you paid your dues, if you will, and how you just live life how you want to. What a believer or what, what a person believed had no relationship with that, how they would behave. And as Christians, we have to deny that kind of thinking, that concept, and, and really bringing, bringing Christianity into that world really shook the way of thinking when it came to how an individual lives their life. You see, faith means to be united to Christ, it means to share in the life. Of Christ, And if we are to do that, we must follow His example, we must submit to His Word, we must be obedient to Him. Christ cannot live in us with His Spirit and allow us to have a lifestyle of sin. It just can't be done. And Paul connects doctrine with duty in this section, and he gives us three core reminders to, to grasp onto today. Let's pray and we'll dig right into the text. Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful for You. God, we're thankful for the many blessings you give us each day. God, we are unworthy uh, of the good things that you give us. God, your word says that every good thing and every perfect thing that we have is a gift from you. So God, we give you all glory, honor, and praise for the good things, included being here gathered as your church under the banner name of Christ Jesus to worship you in this way. Father, we pray that you would be with our pastor as he preaches revival at, at Goshen Church. Father, we pray that you would use the message of your word. God, use him as an instrument. God, use me this morning as an instrument as we communicate your word to your people. Father, may we, you be honored and glorified through what we say and do. And may your word change us to be more like Christ Jesus. 
than we were when we came. And also we say and ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Let's look at this as we see, to set your mind on things above. It says, So, if you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You see, the fullest explanation of the wonderful truth that Paul is communicating here can be found in Romans chapter 6 through 8. You see, Christ Jesus not only died for us as our substitute, but we died with Him in identity. You see, if, you, if you've ever watched someone be baptized, you've been baptized yourself, hopefully, as, as, a, as a believer in Christ Jesus here, then the representation of that as you go into the water is that you have been buried with Christ. And as you come out of the water, that you have been raised in new life in Christ Jesus, that you are now dead to the old sinful ways of life, and you have been made new in Christ Jesus. Christ not only died for sin bearing its penalty, but He died unto sin, breaking sin's power. And because we are in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, we have also died with Christ. See, Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live, I live in the flesh, And I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Church, is your attitude this morning that your life is not your own? Is your attitude this morning that the transaction that should have been made when you come to Christ Jesus? See, Christ willingly gave Himself on your behalf. He shed His blood. He died a criminal's death so that you could be redeemed so that you could be saved. He offers you the free gift of salvation, right? And you don't have to work for a free gift. You don't earn a free gift. It's it's just given to you, right? You, you, You take it. God has done all the work. Christ Jesus did all the work. And you receive that gift through repentance and faith. But what ought to happen in the believer's life in that transition... After we receive that free gift of salvation, the the attitude of the believer is that what we give to God is the willingness of our heart to live for Him daily. The attitude that it is not I who live anymore. That Christ live in me. That He has the, 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 the say over my life. His will, His way, not my own anymore. This is the attitude of the life of the believer who loves Christ Jesus. It means that we have victory over the old sin nature that once controlled us, that we're not shackled by it anymore. We can no longer live in sin and think so flippantly about the evil acts that we once did. We must now deny ourselves, reject our sin, pursue holiness by picking up our cross and following Christ. Paul deals with the idea of a believer living how they want to and living their sin and loving their sin, even though that they've been saved by grace through faith. And in Romans 6, he he addresses this. Verse 2, he says, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. 
How can we who died to sin still live in it? What's, what's the attitude of Paul here? There are some that are saying, hey, the more and more you sin in your life with Christ, the more God's grace is illuminated. So sin, uh, sin it up. Sin as much as you want because the more you do, the more His grace uh, becomes even greater. And Paul says, absolutely not. We cannot live that way. How can we say that we are dead to sin and still live in it? This doesn't call the believer to perfection. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, right? Another false understanding of the Word of God, you'll never be perfect until God gives you a, a, a new body in heaven. You won't be perfect, but it's the attitude of not having a lifestyle of sin, the attitude of, of, of giving Christ your all and repenting of sin when it rears its ugly head. You see, when Jesus gave us His life, that was very clear that He lifted us out of the grave and into life. The Bible is very clear that once you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you know, you're, not, you're not made alive in Christ Jesus in a new life spiritually. You were dead before. Dead in your trespasses and sins. Guilty before God. Out of the bondage of sin and into freedom through Christ Jesus, no longer shackled by sin itself. I was very clear that Christ is seated at the right hand of God and that we are seated in Christ. Now I want you to recognize that Paul saying in verse 1, so if we have been raised with Christ, it's, it's not him saying, hey, it, if it's true for believers, if he's really done this, a better understanding is that since he's done this, right? Since we have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ has raised you up. If you're a child of God, He is your Redeemer. He is your Savior. You're not walking on eggshells. God's not in heaven writing your name in and out of the Lamb's Book of Life. You are His. You've been raised to life. You know, our, our exalted position in Christ is, is not a hypothetical, right? It's, 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 it's something that we can grasp. It's something that we can know. It's something that we can believe. It's an accomplished fact by what Christ Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. And Paul's call to us is to set our mind on heavenly things, not, not, to, not to be focused on, on an earthly mindset, not to be focused on on everything that's, that's gripping us and, and crippling us in this world, but to set our mind on the things of heaven. Church, we have the hope of heaven. And man, that should be the greatest encouragement that we have and that we need. And let me remind you, when, when our hearts and our minds go to heaven, when, when we are, it, for lack of a better term, fantasizing about heaven and, and just hooked on, on being there and in love with the thought of being there, your mind ought to be for the, for the most part, focused on Christ Jesus because that is the most wonderful thing about heaven is that Jesus is there and that you get to spend all of eternity with Him. Do we get to spend eternity with our loved ones that are in Christ? Yes. Do we get to walk streets of gold? Yes. Do, do we get to enjoy a, a, a life that is without sin? Yes. Do we get to enjoy the new heaven and new earth? Yes. But the wonderful truth of heaven is that Jesus dwells there. And we get to enjoy Him forever. Glorify Him forever. The second thing that we see this morning is that your life is hidden 
with Christ. Look at verse 3. He says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ. You see, Christ is our life. Christ should be the focus of our life. He, is, he should be what we dwell in each day. Eternal life is not some, some heavenly substance that God imparts to us. It is something that He gives us when we trust in Christ Jesus. Eternal life is Christ Jesus Himself. Jesus said, I'll remind you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, life, living life, loving life, is Christ Himself. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 says, The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son does not have life. What's the understanding there? That we are either dead in our old sinful way, or we are alive in Christ Jesus. Someone once said that life is what you are alive in. And you know, when you have conversations with people, it's easy to see where, where their hearts are, where their minds are. Because sometimes you bring up something in conversation and they become alive, right? You talk to a kid and you bring up some video games or, or superheroes, they become alive. You talk to some teenagers and you bring up uh, sports or, or some music, they, they become alive. Some adults, you bring up politics or, 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 or you bring up the, the, the passions of, of, of their job, they become alive. The Christian ought to come alive in conversation about Christ Jesus, about a love for His Word. We ought to come alive with everything about Christ. You see, that was Paul's attitude. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. I love this verse. He says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Christ was Paul's very reason for living. And Christ should be our reason for living. He's our hope. He's our strength. He's, he's the one that sustains us. He's the one that we walk with daily. He should be the only reason that we love to live is because of Christ Jesus. You ever think, and, and if you study the book of Colossians, you'll, you'll see very clearly that Paul makes a, a distinct statement to help us understand why we were, we were created. And sometimes... I. Sometimes believers have a hard time with this. But did you know you were created to bring honor and glory to God? That's your purpose. Your purpose is not to live your best life now. Your purpose is not to be all you can be. Right? Your, your purpose is not to achieve as much as you can achieve. Your purpose, the very reason you were created, was to bring honor and glory to your King, Christ Jesus we are created for His honor, for His glory. And this was the attitude of Paul. And so should it be for every believer. I read an illustration about two sisters who uh, just really love to party. They love to, to, to live it up, have, have the sinful lifestyle. And they come to faith in Christ Jesus. Of course, they, they have a new outlook on life. They, they see themselves differently as, as children of God. And before long, they received an invitation to one of these wild parties that they used to attend. And they sent back the RSVP and they said, We regret 
to inform you that we cannot attend because we have recently died. (laughs) They've died to sin. They've died to that old life, that old way of living. You see, we no longer belong to the world. We now belong to Christ. And the source of life that we enjoy comes only from Him. You see, this is Paul's entire point. If you look at Romans chapter 12, as he makes the shift into calling you to obedience to God. Romans 12, 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, in the view of the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, so what's Paul saying here? Is he saying, hey, you should obey God out of obligation? No, it's not what he's saying. He's saying you should obey God out of fear because if you don't, he's going to get you. No, it's not what he's saying. When Paul says that we should be obedient to God in view of the mercies of God, he's saying that you should be obedient to God out of love for Him. He's been so good to you. He's blessed you in such a way. He has died for you. So why would you not want to live for Him? Why would you joy in anything else in life? Why would you seek after or chase after anything else when your king has died for you? In view of the mercies of God. And that's, man, he, he calls us to all sorts of living the Christian life inside of Romans chapter 12 and beyond. Because the attitude of the, the Christian should not be that I'm going to do what God says because I guess I have to. Or because I think I'm going to get in trouble if I don't. The attitude of the Christian is that I lay myself on the altar of sacrifice to God because I love Him. Because I desire to be obedient to Him with my life because He's been so good to me. And church, that should be our attitudes today. To be hidden with Christ means security and it means sanctification. You know, we ought to desire for God to continue to sanctify us And really, just to give you the crux of that, that is essentially just allowing God to change you to be more like Him each day. You know, as believers, we come to faith in Christ Jesus, and we we cannot get more saved, right? You're not going to get more holy and righteous because it's not your righteousness anyways. It's all Christ. So you're covered in Him. You're blameless before God. And and that, that doesn't wax or wane at all. But the attitude of the believer ought to be that we want God to shape us into the image of Christ Jesus each day. To conform us into the image of His Son is what Paul says, right? It is the daily working that God wants to do in you today to make you, in your attitude, in your actions, in your thoughts, more like Christ. And church, I'm just going to tell you, and please don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm guilty of this myself on, on many accounts. But if you go a day and you've not allowed God to do the, the sanctifying work in your life, you've wasted a day. It's wasted. What good was that day as a believer if our life is to be to love Christ, to glorify Him, and to obey Him? What good is a day if we have not learned to love Him more, learned to honor His Word more? Romans chapter 8, verse 38, Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, 
nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God has you held. Our sphere of life is not here on earth. The the life that we desire to live, our ultimate goal is heaven. The things that attract us or, or maybe once attracted us, that once excited us, those affections should not be placed in where they once were, but those affections should be placed in heaven, not on earth. This doesn't mean that we ignore our earthly responsibilities. It doesn't mean that we forsake what we're supposed to do on earth. Rather, it means that our motives and where we draw our strength from comes for what is waiting for us in the future. Your drive to be a faithful witness to Christ Jesus, to live for Him each day, shouldn't be motivated by your circumstance. Again, let's look at Paul. He's in prison. His certainly, he was not driven by his circumstance. If he was, this would have been a much different letter. His motivation, his heart, his strength was driven by his relationship to Christ Jesus and the hope that he had in heaven. You read all over Paul's writings, you learn something very clearly. Paul was ready to die. And he was not worried one bit if that day was today. Why? Because when he dies, he wins. He has heaven waiting for him. And again, the attitude of the believer ought to be the same. Third thing, lastly, very quickly we see is that you will appear with him. Verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father. But one day he will come and he will take his people home. And when He does that, we shall enter into an eternal glory with Christ Jesus. When Christ is revealed in His glory, we also will be revealed in glory. And according to Paul, in Romans chapter 8, we've already been glorified. He says, "...these whom He predestined, He also called, and these who He called, He has also justified, and those He has justified, He has also glorified." You've been glorified through Christ Jesus for your glory? No. For the glory of God. To bring Him that glory. This glory simply has not been revealed to us in the way it will be in heaven. Christ has already given us His glory, but the full revelation of this glory awaits for us when our Savior returns. But now in view of our wonderful identity in Christ, we have the responsibility, going back to the first part of our text, to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. You see, through Christ's death, through His burial, His his resurrection and ascension, we have been separated from the old life, the old world, and we now belong to the new heavenly life. So what does it mean to set our minds on things above? I believe that the secret is found in verse 2. Essentially, Paul is saying that you should habitually set your mind, your attitude, your affections on the things that are of heaven, not on the things that are of earth. You see, our feet are on earth, but our minds must be in heaven. D.L. Moody said this one time, 
He said that we cannot be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. Now, I want you to think about that for, for a moment. I, I love D.L. Moody. I love reading after his stuff, but I don't think that's possible. Can the believer really be so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good? I don't think so. Because if the believer is heavenly minded, if we are soaked up in the things of heaven, then we are going to be of so much earthly good because our thoughts are going to be on the glories of heaven and bringing people along with us. Our thoughts are going to be in being shaped to be more like Christ, to be ready to prepare for that glorious day when we meet God in glory. Our hearts, church, if your heart, if your mind is set on heaven, then your mind can't wait for that moment where Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You can't wait for it. So you can do everything you can to make sure you're doing as much as you can for Christ. Set your mind on things above. It means further that we look at earth from heaven's point of view. You know, when the nation of Israel first came to the borders of the promised land, the borders of Canaan, they refused to enter. And they refused to enter because of their, their, their stubbornness, their, their unbelief, their disobedience. And because of this, they had to wander the wilderness for 40 years. And really, when we come to an understanding what the purpose of that wandering was, sometimes it can be a hard pill to swallow. Because the entire purpose of them wandering that wilderness is so that the generation that was disobedient and rebellious against God would die off. And so that a new generation would come and take Canaan. Again, that whole generation dying except for two men. Caleb and Joshua. The only two men that took a stand to say, nope, we need to take this land. God has given it to us. He has promised it to us. We can take it. The only two men that, that decided they were going to be faithful when no one else wanted to be. So through this whole time, as they're wandering the wilderness, how did Caleb and Joshua, how did they make it? How were they not in such despair? Because their minds were in Canaan. They had their hearts, they had their minds fixed on the promised land that God had already given them. They were ready and they couldn't wait for it. So, so how did they not, not just plummet in, in, into a desperate spirit? Because they were waiting for Canaan. They couldn't wait for the promised land that God had given them. And this is the heart, the mind that the believer has to have to set our minds on things above. How can we keep from being despaired? How can we keep from just allowing discouragement to grip us and to bring us down and to weigh us down? How can we do that? We set our minds on things above. We have the, the mindset and the attitude that we're aliens here. This place is not our home. We're just a passing through, right? The old hymn. We, we, we have the attitude that it doesn't matter what may happen to us in this life. It's temporary. James says it's a vapor in the wind. Right? And really what we're waiting for and what we long for and what we can't wait for, what we're excited about is heaven. Being there and getting there. Again, that doesn't mean that you forsake everything that you, your responsibilities, everything you have to do on this earth. 
but it means that that is where your affection is set, is being with Christ Jesus. That that's what, that, that's, that's what brings you joy in the morning when you wake up. That's what helps you keep going when times are tough. That, that's what motivates you to witness to people when it seems like no one is listening. As you set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Christians, may our minds be in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful for Your Word. And God, we're thankful for the truth of Your Word. God, we're thankful for the challenge of Your Word. And God, we're thankful when Your Word encourages us with the hope of heaven. God, there is no no better hope, God, that we can live in each day but to remember that one day for all of your children, all who are in Christ, we will spend eternity with you, King Jesus. God, there is no better hope than that. So God, I pray that you would help us as Christians... As believers today, God, to set our minds on things above. Father, to not allow the, the weight of this world or the things that happen in our life weigh us down, crush us, or cripple us because, God, we know that it would be easy to let all of these things tear us down. God, may we set our minds on things above. May our minds be in heaven, focused on the promise that You've made to us. Focus on your, on your goodness, on the relationship that we have. God, may our hearts be that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain because we gain heaven and we gain an eternity with Christ Jesus. May this be our hearts and attitudes. Every head bowed, every eye closed as our musicians play. If you have business to do with God, we want to open up the altar to you. If you need to come and confess some things before God so that you can live your life with your mind set on things above, then please do that. If you want to come this morning and you want to say, God, I haven't had my, my affections, I haven't had my mind set on the things of heaven, on the things of you. God, I haven't been focused like I ought to on my walk with Christ. If you want to come today and maybe you don't know Christ Jesus, we want to give you the opportunity to take me by the hand so that you can know how you can have the blessed hope that we have how you can know you can be saved and you can have a home in heaven today, how you can live the life that has their affections fixed on Christ Jesus. If you have business to do with God today, please come.
Heavenly Father, God, we pray that today, God, that we would set our minds on things above, not on earthly things, but, Father, on heavenly things. May we be heavenly-minded people, God, as we live to love you. Father, we pray that we would cast our burdens at your feet, God, to cast our cares on you, for you care for us. Father, may we walk with obedience to your word, not out of obligation, not out of fear. Father, out of love for who you are and what you've done for us. God, may we be believers that share the gospel with people around us so that we can share the blessed hope that we have. May we do this in the name of Christ Jesus.